Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Women's football land. This is Jody Moose Raylander of the Minnesota Vixen and Aaron Redwood Truex of the Boston Renegades. And we are Cleat Sheets. Welcome to the nearly vaccinated almost <laughs> episode of the podcast. I am in a trial, so but I'm fairly sure that I got the actual vaccine based on my reactions to the two shots. And I know Redwood, you and Kira too. No, 16 and under don't get the vaccine, but she, so I posted a photo online. Yeah. I posted a photo online. She loves the doctor. She loves getting her blood drawn and shots, which is bizarre. And so she actually went with me. I got the second shot of Pfizer and she went with me and she lost her mind when she realized (laughs) I was getting a shot and she was not getting a shot. (laughs) So she had a total meltdown and they said, if we give you a sticker, the kind mm-hmm. doctor version of if we give you a sticker, will you shut the fuck up? Right, and exactly. So they gave her a sticker. So no, 16 and under. They've had some talks about trials for, for, kids, yeah. for kids, but she is not vaccinated. But my husband got Moderna, has had both shots, and I have now gotten both shots of Pfizer. So I'm ready to go to every dive bar in town and just go <laughs> go wild. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, my son at his last appointment had to get four different vaccinations. It was a big milestone appointment for him. Oh, and he looked at me and he's like, mom, <laughs> four, <laughs> like, it'll be okay, buddy. And the nurse came in and she was great. It was two in each arm. And he's just looking at me the whole time. Like, why, what did I do to deserve this? Oh, oh buddy. <laughs> Poor kid. And then he came home and he slept for like four hours. So it was fine. Yeah. I've definitely been taking advantage of it. I had the shot yesterday and I sent my two and a half year old off with my husband to the park and I, I'm tired. I'm definitely a little fatigued, but yeah. I probably don't need to sleep all day. I'm probably going to sleep all day anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, why not? Yeah. Why not? But yeah, I mean, just another day in this COVID world. So I know Ugh. that we're going to get into what things are looking like for our teams and equipment changes right. and things like that. But I wanted to have a quick check in now that we have a few more practices under our belt Mm -hmm. how are things looking with your team just dealing with this crazy little pandemic 
Yeah, things are actually looking, knock on wood, okay. So I live in a state that likes science, so I'm really happy for that. Minnesota has been really great about monitoring data and then making some decisions and communicating about that. You hear that, Texas? You hear that, Texas? (laughs) Mississippi, yeah. So, and what's interesting, I watch the Sunday morning news shows on the regular, and this morning they had the states, something to do with epidemiology, I forget his exact title, but he came on and the talking head was like, so two week moving average of cases is actually going up. And he says, yes, but so are the vaccinations. And I'm like, see, data. So it's really great to live in a place where I can trust that the decisions being made are being made based on sound data and science. We also got some really good news that as of April 1st, which is prior to any of our home games, we will be able to have a percentage of capacity at our stadium up to 1,250 people, which is well above our usual average attendance at our home games. So anyone listening out there who's a Minnesota Vixen fan and hoping to come to one of our games, you will be able to. And we're really excited to be able to say that as well as probably announce our home stadium next week. That's great. That's awesome. And you're announcing it next week, but do you change your home stadium quite a bit? I'm, as you know, I'm geographically challenged, but does it make (laughs) sense to move around Minnesota or do you stay in one place? (laughs) So within the Metro, there is a lot of change that's possible. We do try to keep every game within a season at the same place. That's not always been possible. But in general, every game through the season is in the same place. And then sometimes we have to get a new stadium for the next season, depending on circumstances. Understandable. Understandable. Yeah, and over in our neck of the woods, we have been practicing. Things have been going well. I think similar to your team, keeping everything by position group has been really helpful. So obviously there's some overlap, but really trying to create these pods. We're still indoors for one more week. So looking forward to going outside and having a little bit more space to move around. But for right now, things seem to be going well. And We've had a couple of nice days. We've been able to go outside for some weekend practices, but I just want to hit someone. I mean, it's so weird as an offensive lineman when we're talking about social distancing and COVID and going through steps and going through our run plays and Mm -hmm. having to be six feet from my right guard as a right tackle. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's never going to be able to pull. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how we started. We had the line of scrimmage and then cones uh, two yards off each side, and that's where you had to be. So there was no contact for like the first month. Yep, absolutely. It's going to be, it'll definitely be an adjustment when it comes time for the game. Like, oh, I can actually hit this person when they're rushing. I can't just put my hands up and give them a high five. Exactly. (laughs) Yep. And and it's only been a couple weeks since we were on true full contact. We'd been doing the profile tackle Mm. prior to that, where you just, you get your leverage and your near foot and near peck strike and then drive your feet, but you weren't supposed to take them to the ground. We call that the thud. And then the, for the past couple of weeks, we've been, nope, if you have it, take it. So take the hit, give the hit. Have there been any new drills that you've implemented because of COVID that you actually are surprised you enjoy? Because I feel like there's obviously some stuff that you do every year that's just consistent. But I'm wondering, has there been anything new that you've implemented that feels like you might even continue to use it after we're through this? Interesting question. I'd say... The approach is what's different. We've been doing the same drills, but with more of a mental approach. And that I think is helpful and is what will continue. So no really new activities, just a new way of thinking about stuff because you don't 
get the contact. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the positional group setup is very different and that's not to knock my fellow linemen, but I'm never going to be a receiver. So I really do enjoy being put in the different groups where we're doing things besides the perfect drill oh, yeah. with our quarterback. So I know oh, yeah. there's some individuals on the offensive line that would love to go catch a pass, but I'm like, no, let's go work on our steps and our movement. I don't really have time for that. And I just don't really want to, I want to go hit people. Or simulate hitting people. (laughs) That's so funny you say that. I'd say in our team chat on Facebook, at least like once a week, there's a, so when's the O-line going to get to catch passes type of gif posted (laughs) as a response to a comment. Yeah. Our O-line is all about doing other things. It's hilarious. So good. (laughs) So what other adjustments have you seen? Because we were, before we started recording, we were talking about Mm -hmm. the world's going to look very different, obviously, in a month. And we're less than two months out from the season starting. We're actually closer to a month out from the season starting, which is unbelievable Mm -hmm. and super awesome. But we'll talk about gear, but just any other policies and systems you've put in place that you just feel like have been really helpful for your team? Yeah, we are very lucky. Our owner is a doctor of pharmacy and working in an emergency department type situation. So they're on the front line and doing things and seeing what works and what doesn't. And I think that's also, she's also on the league board of directors, which is a subset of owners and helping the league also formulate policy and be smart about the things that they're going to try to have the teams implement. Overall, I think there are frequent meetings between our ownership and our coaches, and we have a small number of players in the healthcare industry who also participate in the team level. As far as how are we doing? Do we need to pull back? Can we move forward? So this past week, they just discussed allowing another additional period of team time. We'd been limited to 15 minutes total of team time. And now that has been doubled going forward. So I really like the way they've been cautious, but not too cautious about getting us the football that we need. Also keeping in mind that we are in the top echelon of states as far as people who voluntarily do the things they should wash their hands, wear a mask, social distance, all that good stuff. So it's so nerve wracking because it's exciting to hear that a team is doing something well and doing something effectively and really is taking this seriously. And we don't have to go down the list of teams that are like, it's a free for all. Everything's going to be fine. (laughs) But I definitely... I personally have my concerns, even though I am now vaccinated. You mm-hmm. you look at what other teams are doing and you're like, hey, there's still a virus going around. You you want right. to update us on what you're doing? Because I'm actually less concerned about what's happening with my team. I have a, a certain level of trust with my teammates and knowing that they're going to be safe and they're going to adhere to the rules and restrictions they need to to keep all of us safe. But man, when you hop on that plane and you fly to a different state, you're kind of opening up your circle. And I know that we're going to have washing and disinfecting and all those things, but All of that goes out the window when the game starts and you have to make a block or make a tackle or really get into it and get after it on the field. Right. And something that I think might be better or worse, depending on where you are playing and the time of year, the penalty for someone not following recommended protocols in a specific location. Like I expect Minnesota's mask mandate to last all the way through the end of this year. I don't see that changing. So we are going to request, politely demand even, that those teams coming to our house will wear masks during the game. And 
I'm not sure what we'll do or what the league will give as a penalty or, yeah, I guess penalty is the right word. I'm not sure what the league will say about a team refusing to do it. Would we be penalized for not stepping on a field with an opponent that won't follow the local guidelines? Would they be the ones penalized? I mean, that's a long way to come, potentially, and not play a game because you're stupid, to be quite blunt about it. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And what I worry about and is always in the back of my mind is the optics from an outside perspective, because we build these relationships with stadiums and businesses and sponsors. And frankly, if someone were to come to a Boston DC game, and this is not indicative of anything I've heard from DC, but say they show up to a game where we have a mask mandate and all of the DC divas are not wearing masks and are not social distancing or not following any of the policies. No one's going to look at that. And maybe a few will look and say, man, that visiting team is not doing what they should be. But the optics by and large are going to reflect poorly on our team and our relationships with those businesses that we utilize for game day. So I am curious to see what the league does and how they handle it with forfeits, because we're not talking about unsportsmanlike trash talking on social media or maybe getting a little chippy like we're talking about a public health crisis and I do hope the league has a really strong response for teams that just aren't going to follow protocol because similarly to you I know in Boston the mask mandate will likely be in effect for the duration of the season and Mm -hmm. I wouldn't feel comfortable having a team roll up and feel like they didn't need to wear a mask. So I am curious to see how the league handles it and the severity of what the penalties might be if a team does not comply. It really isn't a matter of what the team says. It's a matter of what the government at whatever city or state level you're playing at. It's really up to them. Exactly. And I think the muscle needed and it's probably going to happen, just hasn't yet, is that the league needs to more clearly reinforce that local and state guidelines for the location of the game being played supersede anything that a team may or may not have been doing prior to the game happening. So I'm hopeful, and it does sound like that's going to happen from a league perspective, but if it doesn't, I think we have a whole lot of other things to be concerned about because... As we've seen in the news, people have been shot for altercations Mm -hmm. and died about whether masking is just something you should do because you respect your fellow humans or something you don't do because my freedoms. So, yeah. Right. And I do... This is where I think the league did drop the ball in a way because I almost wish that we had been a little bit more strict with what some of these requirements were going to be because I think the majority of the teams in some of those larger markets are going to have mask mandates, whereas in some of the smaller markets, maybe teams that are sticking to their state, they don't. But I wish the league had kind of looked at different divisions or even different conferences and regions and just made a universal blanketed statement because what's going to happen, I would imagine, is players in maybe a state where they don't have to wear a mask, they become accustomed to that. You're practicing without it. You aren't adhering to the same policies that a more restrictive state is. And then you hop on a plane and you fly up to Minnesota and you try to get through a game with a mask on and remembering to distance and remembering to do all of these things. And we'll get into how ridiculous it is that people think they can't breathe in masks because you know how I feel about that. You totally can. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. If you're not accustomed to wearing a mask and you just slap one on because you happen to fly up to Minnesota for a weekend game, it's a bit of an adjustment. Exactly. 
Yeah. Like I said, I'm really hopeful and positive from the things that I've heard when I've asked questions of people at the league level and owner level. They said that the idea in that initial document we've seen as players was just to get something out there and gather feedback. So I am very hopeful that there will be a stronger verbiage coming. So let's all cross our fingers. (laughs) Now, you and I very briefly got into it. So we are on the competition committee together. And I know a lot of that stuff is top secret. But I argue that the mask mandate, yes, I agree. There are people that are idiots and just don't want to wear a mask because of their freedoms and they don't want to be controlled. I also think there's this perception that if you wear a mask, you're not going to be able to perform at a high level and you're not going to be able to breathe Mm -hmm. and you're not going to be able to be successful on the football field. I'm just curious, have you heard that sentiment from your teammates or other players across the league? I'm just, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Great point. I actually saw a research study looking at airflow versus oxygen flow. So you do perceive your brain is a very powerful thing and it perceives any obstruction of airflow, meaning how easy is it to take a breath? Your brain tells you this is hard. It's hard to breathe. Start panicking. And I actually bought myself a pulse oximeter for my fingertip. It was like $15 on Amazon. And I wore it through a couple different kinds of workouts. And my oxygen saturation remained above 97% through all those workouts. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was so helpful because even though you read something, you're told something, you know something is factual, sometimes it's that last bit of actually proving it to yourself that makes the difference. And so what I was able to do with that, because what was happening is during hard workouts, especially cardiovascular workouts, I was starting to panic attack wearing a mouth guard and a helmet and a face mask all together because that's what protocol demanded of me. And so by wearing that pulse oximeter for intense workouts, I was able to say, my oxygen levels are okay. Hey, brain, let's figure out how to make the airflow constriction not such a big deal. So I actually went and got some tips on how to identify panic attacks Mm. and keep them from becoming full-blown mental episodes. And the last time we had a really tough cardio practice, I had one episode and this was like last week versus when we first started where I had to stop pretty much every rep and calm myself down because all the things, claustrophobia, panic. (laughs) So that's a very real thing. And I don't discount anyone saying I can't breathe. It's harder to breathe. What I would like people to realize is that it doesn't mean you're getting less oxygen. Mm -hmm. It just means your cardiovascular system is under more stress. So what are the things you have to do as an athlete? Because that's what we are. We're athletes trying to perform at a high level. What are the things that you personally have to do to make the circumstances right for wearing a mask? And I think the other point that we were discussing was some teams will not do that. And then they will perhaps complain or object to a game's outcome or circumstances because of their lack of preparation. Mm. I'm not shy about calling that out. There are always things you can do to mitigate any circumstances you might come into. And if you fail to prepare, 
you prepare to fail. I would love to read that write up on a game for a team to say, yes, we lost, but we lost because we had to wear a face mask. Like that would be (laughs) (laughs) of all the reasons, like of all the reasons. (laughs) I just see that gif in my head of the dog with the really look on its face where he's just shaking his head. Oh yeah. With the floppier dog. Yeah. Uh Yep. Floppier dog. Yep. (laughs) So good. Oh man. Like just admit you weren't ready. You are not right? ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I think that's a really, to go back to the original point, I think that's a really important distinction for people to start making who are maybe frustrated or opposed, because some people are, and that's fine. That's your opinion. Frustrated or opposed to being in a mask for an athletic competition. I mean, high schools did it for pretty much every season that's happened so far. So we're not, it's only limiting if you let it be. I guess is what I'm saying. Absolutely. No, it's a a great point. Great point. And then for me, I just, where I've had to really structure my workouts is I got so used to running with neck gaiters. So like a runner's buff, Mm -hmm. that thin material that essentially rests around your neck, you pull it up, you pull it down. And where my adjustment has needed to come is I would run over the summer and I'd wear those and I would pull it down when I was out in the woods or I should just like disclaimer, I say run. It was a fast walk slash jog. I am a lineman. Just, I want to be but truthful. Heavy, right? <laughs> you, you I was were, moving. Yeah, but you, you were not set walking at a pace where you would have been difficult to carry on a regular conversation. Correct. Correct. So, so a light jog, but I get to points in my run jog and I wouldn't be around anyone. And I'd pull that neck gator down just to have fresh air, get some sun on my face, whatever it might be. And that's something that I think we also need to be mindful of because if someone's asymptomatic or they are potentially carrying anything related to COVID and I won't get into like all the technicalities, but what you really shouldn't be doing in a game is go to the sideline, wear a mask and then go play and pull it down and pull it down in huddles and pull it back up and down and up. It's just not, it almost defeats the purpose of wearing the mask to begin with. If you're touching your face and consistently moving it up and down in various groups. And so I've really had to get better at practice at just keeping it on consistently because I'm accustomed to taking it down. Not even, I've never really had a panic attack, whether or not I could breathe. I just got used to it. I got used to feeling like, okay, I, I've been wearing this for a while. No one's around. I can take it off. And that's not really the case anymore. Right. Right. But again, It's knowing that you're going to have a potential complication or difference in the way you're doing things and then doing it prior to instead of being shocked on the day of going, oh, this is way worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think the over communication piece is huge. I know we talk about it a lot, but I think making sure that folks are aware of state mandates. I mean, I personally, when we get our schedule, I immediately look at flights and look at times and dates and and really try to do the planning and look at various restrictions. So I think we have to over communicate not only because all the states are different, but all the states are going to be different at different points. So it's Mm -hmm. really difficult to look and see what's happening. I use DC because they're our rival. We always face them, but it's really difficult to look now and see what's up with DC and use that as my plan for what happens when we fly there in June to play. It, it might look different. It might look the same. It might look worse. So Right. Right. Who knows? That's a pretty good segue into a number of games. So I know DC only got four. I think you have added one. We have not. We are, we are at five. Got it. And we added scrimmage, an intra-team scrimmage, as well as a game like, our coaches are calling it a game and they're treating it like a game. And in Omaha, 
in a couple of weeks, just about three weeks. We're going to Omaha. Is there a team so, in Omaha or are you just playing? Um, not, in this, not in the WFA. It's the WNFC, the Nebraska Nighthawks, who actually used to be in the WFA. Oh, wow. And so we got dispensation from the powers that be to have a cross league game situation because we wanted to get as much competition in as we could and originally it was actually supposed to be a scrimmage type of deal but the coaches talked and they're like why not make it just a preseason game because that's essentially what it is it it happens about three four weeks before our first game so why not two weeks before that we're having an inter-squad scrimmage to check some levels on some other things. So, that's so we've, awesome. that, that's how, yeah, that's how we've boosted and really kudos to our coaching staff and owners and our player COVID committee, because they really wrestled through all of the logistics and decided that it would be acceptable if we took the right precautions and just went out there and got it done. I just, I can't say how grateful I am for our team management, helping us be as ready as we could be. So what, and I'm sure there's pieces you can't share, but I am fascinated by the idea of an interleague scrimmage. Like obviously the WNFC was formed a few years ago. There's a fair amount Mm -hmm. of teams in the WFA that have made that move. I think Kansas City is now the Kansas City Glory, previously the Kansas City Titans Mm -hmm. as recently as last season. So what are your thoughts on that happening with a WFA team facing off against a WNFC team? Because there really is no overlap and they are probably arguably, not even arguably, I would say, they're probably the two most recognizable leagues in women's football obviously we have a couple of others but it really is wfa wnfc right so as far as rankings it doesn't really count in the masses it's a preseason game anyway as far as that goes i think that if the competition level is there and that's one of the reasons that we thought this would be a good preseason game for us because we felt that the nighthawks would be a equitably competitive team to us so not a cakewalk not too hard not like postseason play And it was a way to add one more competition on our schedule. I think if a WFA team and a WNFC team are within good geographical circumstances, like it's a five, six hour drive for us. So that's not a big deal. I'd say go for it. Just make sure you cross all your I's and dot all your T's as far as the two leagues management, making sure they know what you're up to. But I don't see a reason to not get another game on your schedule if it works out. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't followed them very closely. I know that they expanded to different regions. I think they have a more significant presence in the South and the Midwest than they do out here. I couldn't even tell you. They might have a team in D.C. now or somewhere in the D.C. area, but they don't have a team anywhere near Boston. So Mm -hmm. it wouldn't make geographical sense for us. But man, I would love to play. It would be interesting if you were to pit the winner of the WFA and the winner of the WNFC and have them get after it. Obviously, I'm sure there's a few folks that would nix that idea, but it would be pretty wild to see that matchup. Oh, and I don't think that it is absolutely out of the question I don't know that it wouldn't have to come from the teams themselves, though, to ask the respective owners of the league to say this is what we want to do. I know that from a fan perspective, and Michael Burmey, our women's football super fan, he has always advocated for a bowl between the more competitive leagues, especially when the IWFL, the NWFA, and the WFA were around, he wanted to see some kind of Super Bowl between those leagues. And I don't think that's a terrible idea because if you are the Dallas Elite or the Utah Falcons and you don't play the Renegades or the DC Divas, for example, 
are you really better or worse? You don't know because we don't have any empirical evidence. Yeah. And I love the idea of the overlap because to your point, Michael Burmy, if someone's a women's football fan, they're a women's football fan. Obviously, we've focused on covering the WFA because it's our league and we were really focused on wanting to talk about what we knew. But I still follow what other teams are doing. Marissa, our podcast producer, is going to be playing in a new league. I think Mm -hmm. fans are universally fans of the game. And it's not like someone would not tune in because, oh, I don't like the WNFC. I just like the WFA. That's all I follow for women's football. I think it would really get a lot of fans and a lot of super fans really excited to see some of those matchups, particularly since the last time before the WNFC started, it was Boston and Dallas in the Super Bowl. Dallas beat Boston, but then Boston went on to win in 2018 and 2019 i think dallas went on to win their championship in their respective league but it'd be Mm -hmm. interesting to see them come back because i know we've gotten better i'm sure they've gotten better maybe there's been good years bad years but i would love to see that matchup for sure and that's always been the thing about women's football right because someone has said i don't like the way you play with my ball so i'm taking my ball and i'm going elsewhere instead of saying well okay I don't like the way you do this with the ball and you don't like the way I do that with the ball but it's still the same ball so can we just like stay in the same playground and iron out our differences between seasons that kind of stuff but again women's football is so drama 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 one of the other big fan sites out there run by Neil Rosendahl he's always fond of calling the offseason the silly season and I tend to agree yeah Absolutely. Well, I have, I've brought her up a lot. Our quarterback, Allison Cahill, she's Mm -hmm. not on any social media. There are a few fan accounts of people impersonating her because she just makes it a point to not be on social media. And she's all about preparation for Mm -hmm. football and what she wants to do on the field. So she's listened to this podcast and it's interesting. And I think about what she says because she doesn't know all the nonsense. She doesn't know Mm -hmm. about the fighting on social media or the speculation. So I could imagine for someone to listen to our podcast and talk about roster limits and and people fighting so them starting new leagues like if you don't follow yeah. the drama you must listen to this and think what the hell is going on I know, right? like, why can't these people get their poop in a group yeah, yeah. exactly yeah so in an ideal world do we have one league or do we have multiple leagues oh there's one league there's one league and it is probably between 25 well okay so let's go multiples of four because that seems to work the best it's probably between 28 and 36 teams yeah you should i i think the nfl has a good working model that when they move to the 32 team league with that's easily divisible by four that seems to have been working really well yeah I agree. I would love to have one league just because I also think I know there's personalities and there's drama and there's frustration. But the again, to speak to optics again, if you're even a casual fan, or maybe you don't follow women's football, you're gonna have such a hard time figuring out, okay, so this is a national champion. And then that's another national champion. But this one plays in a bigger league, but this one plays in a stronger conference. Like there's so many variables, you can't look at it and say, This is the league. This is the standard. And I I do think because WFA has been around as long as it has and how big it is, I think it probably has a pulse on the market a little bit more, but it's not the way that people approach the NFL. Like no one's sitting here and talking about other leagues that are competing with the NFL, maybe doing something similar in that it's men's football. Like you look at Mm -hmm. some of these other leagues and especially the Canadian football league has really popped off, but I, yeah, I just think it kind of muddies the water and makes it really hard to generate interest. Right. Did you hear, digressing just a little bit, did you hear that The Rock, the his XFL, 
is in talks with the CFL to combine somehow and run basically a joint season. I have not, but that would make me so excited because I love The Rock more than just about anyone in the entire world. (laughs) And I would trust him to do that. I I personally, I don't know if you've ever played this game. This is just a complete random thought, but I've talked Mm -hmm. to people about who's the one person that you would never want them to have a scandal? Like you would never want to find mm-hmm. out that they were mm-hmm. terrible in real life. Don't tip mm-hmm. underpay Yeah, you, the one person. And I think for me, it's the rock. If I were to find out he was just not a good person, I'd be really upset. <laughs> yeah. For me, it would be Keanu Reeves. Oh yes. Yep. Keanu Reeves. He's been my ever since. Okay. So another side trip into <laughs> the mind of most Keanu Reeves. I saw him in point break and Done. Put a fork in my heart. Done. <laughs> a platter for Keanu Reeves. I jokingly post the list from friends and he's sometimes on it and sometimes not, but he's like all time list. So mm-hmm. when Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out, I saw it and I'm like, oh, oh, Keanu. Okay. All right. And then I had to sit through all sorts of woeness. <laughs> And then the Matrix came out and I was finally like, yes, yes, we've done it. We've come full circle. (laughs) Because it was so hard to be such a Keanu fan and have people be like, really? But Bill and Ted, I'm like, you know, everyone makes a paycheck choice in their career. Okay. Everybody makes that choice. And he also did a walk in the clouds and he figured out how to take 36 takes to say medicinable in much ado about nothing. So <laughs> no, give the guy a break. All right. Oh, okay. There's my Keanu Patreon moment. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. I, I'm a fan of his and he likes hockey. He's from Canada. He's, he's right. all right in my book. Absolutely. When I saw he was a lefty in the replacements, I'm like, can my heart get any bigger for him? <laughs> But to your original point where we went off track, the the idea of of The Rock being able to to combine these two leagues, obviously way more financial backing, operating at a lot higher level. But I do like the idea of these mergers because I would love to get to a point where the league is able to do that. And I hear you. I agree on the 20 to 36 teams not making it too big. I still, that's kind of the point that I feel like I hammer home all the time. Like I don't think Mm -hmm. being the biggest league and having the most teams is really like that shouldn't be our opening line it should be we are the most competitive or we're this whatever it might be but Mm -hmm. just to have the biggest league doesn't make a lot of sense to me but you could easily if you wanted to potentially try to tie them to nfl markets and try Mm -hmm. to build partnerships that way and then you Mm -hmm. might be able to have a second aa league developmental Mm -hmm. league so you're able to foster excitement and love of the game because yes we hear about these opportunities for women in sports but we're still for a long time, the majority of the women that are going to be playing in our leagues are not going to have extensive football experience before they join. So to be able to have a developmental team tied to a non-developmental team so that someone can hone their skills and understand the sport, I think would be really interesting because again, someone, they might be a basketball player and that's all they've ever played and they're a great athlete, but to then throw them into a situation where it's the most competitive women's football, I don't know would be successful. Right. And I think a related point is a lot of people say well moose there's flag football in college now and flag football is getting a lot more popular and flag isn't tackle there's a specific skill set that makes you successful in flag football and yeah you can have contact flag football i've seen it but i don't think 
anything prepares you for full contact tackle football except full contact tackle football. So while I am super excited that more women and girls are getting experience in football through those flag leagues and the NAIA's new program, they're still not preparing people to play tackle football. And I think that's a miss. It's like, oh, well, you want feeder teams. Well, flag. No, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. I also was talking to some people who knew a lot of lingerie football players, the LFL, Legends League, and I asked them, well, it seemed like it was basically tackle football without pads there were some pretty high caliber athletes playing essentially tackle football without pads or unsafe pads let's be real and they said nah they didn't want to play tackle they wanted the exposure and the money and the cute shit they wanted to be cute in lingerie they didn't want to go play actual competitive tackle football and i'm like that's kind of disappointing because to me if you're playing tackle football without pads that's still tackle football. And also, what a loss of really great athletes for women's sports. Absolutely. And I hear you on the flag point. We did a, a pickup flag game with a local girls league in September, and I couldn't really understand it because it's a completely different, you know, I'm a, a starter for my team, relatively successful at my position, obviously always room to grow, but I had no idea what was going on with flag football. And I'm someone who played six on six flag football in a private school for high school that performed really well. And I still didn't understand. I think it was seven man. Maybe that's why I didn't understand. I didn't know how many people are on the field. <laughs> no, but it's it's completely different and it it's really yeah. difficult and it's a different skill set and again why not both and then the LFL thing i it just every time i get into arguments with people and there's a few that frequent the same the same social media posts that i do with mm-hmm. mutual friends and the constant argument that i hear made is first of all if someone ever posts anything supportive of the Boston Renegades or of me and I'm tagged in it the immediate response by these few individuals is well you should check out this LFL team they're legit and it's like first of all that's not necessary like when I'm talking about my love of the Los Angeles Kings a hockey team you don't need to come in and tell me how much the Yankees are wonderful like it's just it's not relevant I hear you on them being great athletes but the other argument that's made is this idea that it's competitive and it's tough because they don't wear clothes and because they wear less gear and they don't wear football helmets. They wear lacrosse helmets. And it's like, that doesn't make you tough. That makes you stupid. And I'm not saying universally the league is stupid. Like the players are stupid, but if you have a league that is by design putting you in situations and the marketing is that you're going to get hurt because you aren't fully covered and your tits are out, your stomach's out and your knees are covered, but your thighs aren't. And you watch their videos and that's what they market. They market the tough hits and the scratches and the bruises and the bleeding. And it's very rarely marketed around a great play or a great pass. It's marketed around that like sizzle factor of the fact that some chick in short shorts got laid out. And so I just, I hate that when it's this idea that well, they're tougher because they wear less clothes. It's like, if I wanted to diet and I wanted to get washboard abs, if I had any self-control when it came to Taco Bell at 11 p.m., I'd love to try out for the LFL, but I don't. So I play full tackle football. <laughs> exactly. And, and to me, it's a very individual game, right? They focus on individual people and the drama and the conflict between one person on a team and another. Whereas on my team, I am happy never getting a headline 
if I've done my job, you shouldn't know I have been there because the team wins a championship. Right. And I think that is the aspect that's just not understood because of who the LFL is as a league. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is it's influencers. And to your point, great athletes, not at all knocking and saying that they aren't great athletes and saying that they aren't successful in what they do, but it's not tackle football. It's just, it's a completely different game. And the emphasis is on individual stats. I totally hear you on that. And the emphasis is also on the brand more so than the game. But what's frustrating is And I even hate doing it now, but there really wasn't a market. There was no mainstream marketability. So it's like, do you knock these female athletes for wanting to play their version of football? And that was the only thing available to them. So they did it. So they admittedly don't like the costumes. I call them costumes. They're not even uniforms, but they will call whatever. Uniforms, costumes, (laughs) whatever you want to call them. But they don't like to wear that but they do it anyways because they want to play and it's the only thing they were aware of because I mean I personally wasn't aware of women's tackle football before I happened to google women's tackle football a week before I joined the team so it's hard to put an emphasis or to have the frustration or the anger lie with the players themselves well I think that's a really great point because if everyone knew about women's tackle football as an opportunity for an athlete to perform. I think that a lot of our issues would go away, but people don't know about us because one money and two money and the, yeah. <laughs> and as much as that appears to be changing, I mean, looking at the slate of our championship stadium and some of the sponsors we're getting and some of the exposure we're getting I think that we're on the cusp of some really great things. I just, until we are a household name and every woman, girl knows that tackle football is something they could do with themselves. We haven't won. We haven't finished our job yet. Until we're as ubiquitous as MLB for baseball and the NFL and the NHL and all of the professional leagues mainstream today. Until we're there, our job isn't done. Yeah. And we obviously have a long way to go, but if we... I like to put it into steps. So if we're looking at 2021, what do you hope happens this season, whether it's a certain number of retweets or the NFL pays attention or they send execs to the championship game, whatever it might be, what are you hoping happens in 2021 that helps move us closer to being a household league? I'm hoping we get a major production deal, not for television, but some cooperative relationship that allows us to improve film quality, statistics recording, and other infrastructure for all of the teams. And then the secondary piece to that would be the league finally making up its mind about the right number of teams, the correct number of teams it should have, and whether teams that currently compete at a lower level of competitiveness, not that they're not good, they're just not at the top tier of competition, Mm -hmm. somehow that distinction is made and a clear break is made between top and the rest of the things. So better infrastructure for media, marketing, film, statistics, combined with a clear direction and strategy on competition. 
those are the two things that I would hope come out of this season with all of the other positives that appear to be on the horizon. Yeah, I agree. I think the being able to get the product out to people is going to be really helpful. And mm-hmm. I know it'll be that awkward conversation of, hey, your team's been cut. But I just, I don't know if that happens in the next year. I hope it happens soon. But I just, I mm. hope we move away from the, what you said earlier about taking your ball and going home. And (laughs) I hope we get away from the idea that we can be divisive or we can go off and do our own thing if we just have lost the urge to work through our issues. And I don't know what causes teams to split. I'm not going to pretend that I understand the dynamics and I don't want to diminish anyone's experience. But at the same time, it doesn't happen anywhere else. So what can we do to prevent that from happening? And I hate to say like, let's have mediation. Let's work through (laughs) it. But just the idea that there's frustration amongst ownership and players and teams just split and go off and do their own thing and further waters down the talent. I'd love to get away from that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a level of interpersonal conflict resolution that we may never solve. (laughs) I, I think it's unfortunate that in minor league sports, that is the de rigueur, right? You just have someone who's unhappy with the status quo, and then they are the proverbial bad apple that poisons six or seven other players. And then those six or seven players start to be a cancer within the larger team. And then they either break off themselves and go try to make that other thing that maybe becomes better. But I am always of the opinion that if you start with rot, you end with rot and it doesn't succeed to do it that way. If you were unhappy, the adult thing, the mature thing is to stay there and work through it and then walk away with your pride, I guess, if things don't work out. Yeah. And I'm not saying that the current ownership that someone might have a problem with is perfect. No one's perfect. There are plenty of things that any one of us who play for a WFA team or really any other women's football league would not point our fingers and go, yeah, that's completely asinine. But it's being able to express yourself in an adult manner and express the differences you have and ask to be heard. And then if the people in power, so to speak, ignore you, then you have a reason to perhaps be upset or bring it to a larger audience. But so many of these little dramas could be solved if someone was just adult enough to say, I don't like the way you did that. Yeah. And that's a larger thing than football, obviously. But it's like, when are we going to get to a point where league ownership is transparent enough to say, if you have any feedback, the WFA is better than it was. I'll tell you that. And then it's a learning process and we all go together instead of everybody saying, you know, you whisper campaigns all over the internet. Right. Gross. Right. And lends itself to one thing. Again, I hear you on the league being more transparent and better communication, but we have to over communicate case in point. We know Pittsburgh's not playing this year. We know St. Mm. Louis isn't playing this year. We only know that because we go through the schedule. and We don't see them playing. I, unless I missed it, I didn't see an official statement from either of those teams. I know New York kind of got ahead of it and they did announce they weren't playing. And I believe Cleveland did something similar, but mm. we need to talk about that because the lack of communication lends itself and breeds just 
the opportunity for more drama, more frustration. I mean, if I look and I see a team's not on my schedule or not on Minnesota's schedule, because we both would have played Pittsburgh and St. Louis, the first thought is, well, why? What did we do? What did they do? It's not, oh, they're not playing because there hasn't been an official statement. Like, I just would love us to be a little bit more forthcoming with some information. And again, I said it last week, stop holding information like it's a grenade. We have to over-communicate in these times, especially. Right. So I look at the way the Hall of Fame stadium announcement was made where we were asked to just be patient and hang on. And we did, and it worked pretty well. The social media metric returns from that announcement were pretty good. The Hall of Fame stadium itself did a press release. We got a lot of media bites on it. And so we have proved that having a good plan does succeed. Mm -hmm. And I'm just hopeful, as you said, that we can continue to learn from that and use that template as we go forward. And I'm really also hopeful that we do get a full list of people. I don't even care why. I agree. I don't care why they opted out of the season. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just don't have the players. Maybe the COVID where they are is really shitty still. I don't care. I just want to know that this season does not include this team and then I can move on with my life. Absolutely. I know we're nearing the end of time, but I want to do a near, not the near of time on earth, hopefully. <laughs> I guess, I guess we all are very slow. Oh, <laughs> no, but as we, as we start to close out this podcast, the one thing that hasn't been communicated that we can speculate on a little bit, but what are your thoughts on how they're going to handle this playoff situation? Because I know I gave my breakdown oh. in the last season, but now that we're a little bit more removed from the announcement both for the championship and the season schedule itself, do you have any more indication as to what will happen, what you hope will happen. I know that we're hoping to get some league representatives on in a future podcast, but just curious what your thoughts are on that. Mm -hmm. What I do know is that if you had been checking out the hostedsports.com website where all our statistics and standings are kept, you would have seen a very interesting lineup of divisions inside the conferences. What I have discovered is that those division splits are really not in play at all. So for example, in division one, Cali War appears to be in their own division, possibly with a straight path through to the playoffs because of that. That is not how it's going to work. It looks like there will be what four teams in the sorry, three teams in the East, four teams in the West playing a playoff bracket against each other. So four seeds in the West, three seeds in the East, and the same way with the other divisions, uh, sorry, with the other conferences, conferences. So no such thing as divisions or regions anymore Mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing. And then I don't know what it looks like. I'm really curious for division three because there's so many teams there. And obviously, unless you have eight weeks of playoffs, you can't have more than like 16 or 20 teams eligible for playoffs. So it'll be really interesting to see how they divide that up. If they'll go geographically, if they'll go market size, whatever. I don't even know what the criteria will be for how they split the teams. I just hope it's equitable. Like if there's 30 teams in division three, 16 of them make 
the playoffs, and then they divide the brackets into equal numbers. So like eight or nine teams and not four teams in one and 12 teams in another just because of geography. I think in playoffs, you can expect a little bit higher expenses. I think with a shorter regular season, you might have a little more money to Mm. play with perhaps. And I'm mostly just speculating at this point, but I'm really hoping that Division Three gets some love as far as the playoff brackets, because I, th- I think their frustration with seasons past and how that's worked for them is justifiable. I don't think they always get treated equitably when it comes to playoffs. Yeah, I agree. And I know I, I've talked at length about the different levels of competition. That's not to say there aren't great athletes and there isn't competition at the D3 level. It's different than D1. But mm-hmm. the where they do really get adversely affected is just because there are so many teams. So yeah. I think it's as wide ranging as 14 teams in one conference in one mm-hmm. division within one conference within division three, and then another will have seven. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. could have teams with losing records because of who they play and how it all shakes out, making the playoffs and teams with winning records not. And so I definitely, to your point, I hope they restructure it. And I do, I, I think there's some teams that could still move up so we can continue to move mm-hmm. teams up and make it a little bit more even across mm-hmm. division one, two, and three. But yeah, it's definitely it's not for the faint of heart <laughs> trying to figure out how to, because there's how many teams are there in division three? There's gotta be what? 35? There's 30 plus. Yeah. Because I think there's 16 or 18 plus D2 plus seven in D1. So that's 25 ish. So there's, there's at least 30 in D3. Yep. Yeah. Wild. Well, we haven't solved it, but when we do, we will definitely <laughs> let everyone know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and and I just want to say, I'm really looking forward to being able to see how the playoff situation develops. I'm hopeful that this is seen as an opportunity by the league to maybe try some things. And now that we have the Players Advisory Council to ask us what we think about a couple of different plans, and then... If we could get player buy-in, and this is a crazy idea, but if we could get player buy-in on a specific plan before it went public, instead of the league announcing something and the players being like, dude, did you even think about asking us? Which is usually how it goes. I would be so excited to see an approach like that, having the league take this weird year as just a opportunity to reassess a whole bunch of things so that's where i'm hopeful lots to ponder and lots to i just hope we have a full season i still think i'm very i'm very optimistic i'm happy with things that are happening but i still am so so mindful that everything could go to hell in a handbasket really really quick exactly exactly and on that positive note folks We're going to close another episode of Cleat Sheets. So much more to come. There are, now that we are sort of, this is our 10th episode and we have started to think about longevity here at the Cleat Sheets podcast. And so we have some exciting recordings coming up about mental health of players. And we're hoping to have League Director of Operations Win Domini and League CEO Lisa King on future episodes, as well as some gear stuff, because we know that everyone's always interested in what you wear on the field. And especially since a lot of the things we wear on the field aren't really made for women. So that's a future episode coming up too. Thank you so much for listening. We will be in your ear as soon as we can. Bye.